welcome to Katusa First. Uh, we are a community of servants that love to serve our community. Um, we're glad you guys are here today. Uh, we have got a lot going on. Uh, I put a word out that we needed some blankets and things like that for our clothing ministry, and you guys have already showed up in force this morning. Uh, also, can I remind you that we need men's jeans. We are really low on men's jeans. We had uh, several people from the homeless community come in, and we just didn't have any pants their size. And uh, one gentleman says, this is the only pair of pants that I own. He had none other to wash or do laundry with. And so if you go through your closet, and uh, men, if you have uh, just some jeans you haven't worn in the last eight months, right, uh, feel free to bring those here, and we can make good use of them. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for leading worship for us. He's got one more week before his son will be back, who is our normal worship leader. Uh, but we have appreciated you serving in this capacity so much, and I know the church has enjoyed it as well. Thank you. So I got to take my shoes off and get comfortable this morning because we're going for a trip. Um, what we do here every week is we work our way through a book of the Bible so we can't skip the hard stuff, right? And we say that all the time, and very rarely do we hit things that are like really, really difficult. And I don't think today's sermon or topic is all that difficult. It's just not talked about much at all. And so in, a, in order for me to be a little bit more free and a little bit more direct, we asked the kids if they would uh, have their own service this morning, though we usually love to have them in here so they can see their parents worship together. We wanted uh, just the adults in here because we might have a little bit more of a mature theme. So if you got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Yes, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. What we're going to be talking about this morning is the slow boil of cultural cancer. Or also another way that I want to describe it is uh, what sexual freedom looks like in Christ. Because one of the topics that the world screams at you all day long is topics regarding sexuality, sex and sexuality. The world talks about it as soon as you go home and you turn on the TV. Even if you're just watching a football game, uh, the commercials are all going to have some kind of sexual innuendo within it. Uh, every music, every video game, every movie, everything around us is having a conversation about what is moral and immoral regarding sexuality. And then the church periodically whispers about it. And then we wonder why, if there is such thing as a culture war, and I don't even like that term, because I, I'm not a part of the culture. There might be right or left, but what God does is he frees us from culture wars and places us in a kingdom. And there is no war within the kingdom of God. He is victorious, and we're just waiting for everybody else to realize that. Amen? So, Colossians Chapter 3, verse 5, if you got it, would you say, I got it? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and un uncircumcised, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we dive into this subject, that you would protect the hearts and the minds of the people that struggle with these issues. And everything that you command us to do is for our freedom and for our betterment. So God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be the one speaking, that it would be the one encouraging and convicting us wherever we need encouragement and wherever we need convicting. All God's people said. One of the things that Paul has just like repeatedly hit over with this church is the same thing that we all try to do. They have brought their culture into this new life. So if you're a Christian, you have a new life. And if you travel, if you go to a different country, and I talked last week about going to Hungary, and nobody wears deodorant. And they were trying to hand out samples of deodorant on the subway. Nobody would take it because they didn't need it because their culture didn't require it. And when you become a Christian, you become a part of a different culture. And it can seem weird and strange depending upon what the culture around you approves and disapproves of. So in the 1950s, becoming a Christian was not that far of a leap when it came to culture. Because much of the culture agreed with a lot of biblical principles. But culture is always changing. What is okay now might not be okay five years from now. And what is not okay five years today might be okay five years from now. We really have no way of knowing because it's based upon emotion, not upon fact, logic, or anything like that. And emotions go every which direction. So what I want us to do is learn that what Christ is, one of the things that he grants us is freedom from the chaos of culture by putting us in a kingdom and then teaching us how to live in that kingdom. Now most of you would agree that when it comes to how do I deal with my sin, the Christian view of that is far better than the cultural view. That the culture says, what do you do for your sin? Well, either ignore it or become successful enough that you can justify it. Oh, I've got, I have to take care of my family. I can basically do whatever I want. There's all these different ways culture tries to deal with the sin problem, but it can't ever actually deal with it. So us as Christians come to Christ and we lay down our lives and he deals with our sin issue. But a lot of us have other issues that we never want to lay at the feet of Christ. But can I recommend to you the one who can save you from your sin is also the one who can save you from your sense of morality that you have convinced yourself is true. And what he's going to do is show and expose things in our life that are destructive whether we believe it or not. I don't trust culture. I'm a skeptic at nature. And so the culture might be screaming one message all day, every day. And I go, but what is the fruit of that? Has it made things better? Has it made people happier? Has it made their lives more fulfilling? I was reading just a study the other day. Um, the connection between homosexuality and depression is really, really strong. In fact, those who live an openly gay lifestyle, even in a culture that approves and celebrates it, are ten times more likely to commit suicide than those who are not a part of that culture. That there is this connection because what the world says, this is freedom. This is liberation. 
this will make you whole and happy in your truest form of yourself, does not do what it says it will do. And we believe that when it comes to all sorts of other uh, types of living life, right? If you were an addict, the world says, hey, do this. It's fun. It's where the party is. This is where you will find freedom. And if you're like me, you found just a more prison, right? Just more chains that weighed you down and ended up destroying your life. Well, the same thing is true regarding sexuality. Four of the five things that Paul mentions at the very beginning have to do with sex and sexuality. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire. Why does Paul, as he's correcting this church, and remember, we're in chapter 3, and he spent chapter 1 and chapter 2 not going after the problem. If there's a problem at your job or at your home, you tend to go right for the problem. What does Paul do? Remember who you are in Christ. Remember what Christ has done. He holds Christ up so high that when we look at Christ, we're not looking at the issue, and the light of Christ shines so that we can see our true self. So he holds up Jesus over and over, and I almost got frustrated. I'm like, enough with the gospel. I know that. Let's get to the problem. He says, no, you never graduate beyond the gospel. Every day, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. But now he's dealing with the issue, and one of the prominent things that they have brought in from their culture into this new church is their view of sexuality. Why does Paul make such a big deal about that? Why of uh, of these first five things that he lists, why does four of them have to do with sexuality? Paul starts with this, I believe, because sexual immorality is like cancer to a society. If it goes unchecked long enough, it leads to the collapse of society. In fact, I think most of us would agree that in some way or another, the culture is sick. And if the culture is sick, sexual immorality is a sign of stage four. That when it gets to where it is right now, that is not a good sign for the future health of any society. Uh, Robert DiMatti, a prominent Italian historian, said, The fall of Rome happened because of homosexuality and effeminate men. This is the consensus. He's not a Christian, okay? So any source I pull from regarding this subject, I'm not cherry-picking Christian scholars. What I'm going to do is show you that scholars who study regarding societies on this subject are almost in unanimous agreement that the collapse of some of the largest societies in the world throughout history one of the determining factors that led to their downfall was they became, um, sexuality and gender began to mix and go back and forth. Androgyny, ambiguity, male-female switching places was one of the last death throes of that culture before it collapsed. If the culture has cancer within it, sexual morality is a sign that it has reached stage four. And I'll hit my notes a lot more than you've seen me do because we've got a lot to cover. So the word here for sexual immorality that he uses is the word pornea. Guess what word is related to that? Right, porn. This is where we get the word porn. What does pornea mean? So it's a blanket term that includes homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and adultery. It is unique to Christianity. Throughout time and history, the Christian view of sexuality has been unique in whatever culture it shows up in. 
Judaism had the similar view. It had a very, what we would call a Christian view of sexuality. And wherever Judaism went, it was very contrary to the rest of the cultures. Most cultures had very varying extremes of sexuality. Rome, um, I could go into great detail about how bad Rome's view of sexuality was, but there are areas that we have gone even much further. In fact, it is not until pretty much right about now and then throughout all of history that an argument has been made from people in power that men can be women and women can be men. This is, in fact, new to almost all of civilization. It, it just hasn't existed in this way before. Just recently, uh, the president of the United States was interviewed by a transgender man, which, or a, I know I get it confused, a man dressed as a woman, but he doesn't call himself a woman, he calls himself a girl. And he says, because woman is too mature of a word, I don't see myself as a mature woman, I see myself as a little girl. So it's a grown adult man acting and dressing and pretending to be a little girl. And this person has gained so much popularity within our culture that he was invited to the White House to interview with the president. And one of the questions was asked, when is the government going to ensure that children have access to gender surgery? Which meaning is, when is the government going to start an insurance company, companies going to begin to allow uh, payment for surgeries to happen on young kids that mutilate their bodies and pretending to make them a gender they were not born with? Guys, I don't know how much you know about this stuff. I know way too much stuff, way too much about this stuff. 99% of people who struggle with gender dysphoria, which is the medical term for, it's a mental condition, not sure whether you're a boy or a girl. 99% of people who struggle with that, once they hit puberty, that goes away. And now we live in a society that says before they hit puberty, we want to give them puberty blockers, we want to mutilate their flesh, we want to cut off parts of their body, and pump them full of drugs for the rest of their life. The drugs that go into these children are well known to cause cancer and have long-term health effects. And I, I have heard this directly from people who have transitioned. How absolutely devastating on their body it was. So we live in a culture, this, this reminds me of the Mayans, right? It's just child sacrifice with a different flavor. So it, it should break our heart. It should, we should be shocked by some of what we see. But Christianity oftentimes can go so far that it makes sex a bad thing and ugly and dirty altogether. And what I want us to do is have a healthy middle view. That God made sex and he made it good. That he says sex between a husband and wife is blessed and designed and a good gift from God. But pornea is the term that covers anything that is outside of that. And what oftentimes people struggle to understand is what Christ is trying to do is trying to just teach you how you were designed to live. Like, he wants you to live in a way where you thrive most of all. And ask anybody in a marriage where there's been an affair, hey, did that affair help you thrive as a human being or did it cause negative consequences? Well, let me tell you what Christ is doing. He's just trying to build a fence. It's not the walls of a prison. It's the fence of a playground so that you know how to play more freely. 
It just keeps you safe. It's like, this is how I designed you to live. You know, there's a reason things like depression and anxiety age the body. Have you ever been so, like, you see the gray hair that's just really coming in, right? Pastors age in president years, you know? So for every year, it's like you're four years older, right? And, and stress can do terrible things to your body. Why? Because your body wasn't designed to carry all that load. It wasn't meant for that. That's not how God designed you to operate. And so a lot of what Christ is trying to teach us is just how you were made to live. And you were made to live in this beautiful picture and what the culture always does is take something that God had made good and twist it and tries to use what was once good to destroy you slowly. But we can't go so far that we become this purity-obsessed culture, right? There are cultures right now where women have to wear head coverings, and there are protests and violent riots because they says, no, this isn't the way either. And you know what the solution to that is? When Rome uh, began to switch, um, there's a Harvard historian Kyle Harper writes this in a book called From Shame to Sin, The Christian Transformation of Sexual Morality. So as Rome was falling and Christianity became on the rise, why would people who grew up with every kind of sexual freedom in the world ever come over to Christianity where we have all this structure for how we should re relate with the opposite sex? Why would they ever adopt that and especially adopt it in mass? This is what he says, that people adopted what was once a radical view of sexuality, and Christianity is still a radical view of sexuality, because they found it more freeing, especially the women, children, and slaves. So this is a Harvard historian, non-Christian, says the reason Rome adopted what was once a obscure Jewish group of people's view of sexuality is because all of a sudden they were sexually liberated. Liberation is not the right to do whatever you want to do with your body. Liberation is learning how you were designed to live and living that way. That's freedom. I used to use um, my phone sitting over there, but I want to do youth conferences. I, I would talk, I'd have my cell phone, and one day my wife and I, our house in Tulsa had a hallway and there was a picture kind of just barely hanging on. The nail was almost about to pop out. And so I could have gone to the garage to get a hammer, but instead I just grabbed my phone out of my pocket and I looked at it. I go, you know, it's got Gorilla Glass on it. I bet I could take my phone and hammer that nail back in. And as I'm holding the nail and the phone and my wife walks down the hallway and stops and looks at me, she just has that look on her face like, you're special kind of stupid, aren't you? Right? Like, you're... You're going to try to drive a nail? I could do it. I could do it. Watch. I could do it. But it's destructive, and it's not what the phone was made for. So could you live your life in whatever sexual manner that you want? You could do it, but it's destructive, and it's not what you were made for. Christianity was the catalyst that changed the entire world. Wherever Christianity goes, and people forget this, the rights of women are brought up equal with the men. 
Wherever Christianity has gone, slaves have been set free because there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave or slave master. There is none of that in Christianity. And so wherever Christianity has gone, the rights of women and education and the protection of children and all of that because we say everyone is created in the image of God. It's the great equator, great equalizer, right? It makes all of us equal in the eyes of God. The world has forgotten that. And our culture screams this new sexual ethic as we whisper ours. And the consequences have been devastating. Now, Paul's talking to the church, and he's dealing with issues in the church, not in the culture. Lost people will act like lost people, right? I'm not going around and, like, finding everybody that has a different uh, sexual view of morality than me and being like, you know, you better know. My job is to talk to the church, and that's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, church, yes, the culture around you is dark. Stop bringing the darkness in here. 77% of evangelicals watch porn on a regular basis. 77%. That means the majority, and let's just be honest, that means the majority of the Christians that you know, maybe yourself, view or watch pornography on a regular basis. 33% of men under 40 are suffering from erectile dysfunction directly related to the amount of porn that they watch. The average age of exposure for a child to the most obscene kinds of pornography that is freely available on the internet is the age of seven. The age of seven. Now this is not just like a drug addiction, okay? A drug addiction always wants more, more, and more. This is called arousal addiction. Arousal addiction uh, always wants more but different. More but different. And so it is absolutely devastating because it steamrolls itself. So if your child begins to watch, you're like, hey, you're letting your kids watch Game of Thrones, and all of a sudden they, they're just seeing all these images on the TV, you think, well, I'm here, and I'm explaining this to them, and it's okay, it's just a TV show. It begins arousal addiction, which steamrolls itself into absolutely atrocious territories. The most commonly Googled uh, searches on porn websites have to do with family relationships, stepmom, stepsister. That's the kind of culture we live in. Do you know that pornography makes more money than football, soccer, and baseball combined every year? It is the great American pastime. But this is the Bible Belt. We don't have that here, right? Just a few days ago, Cosmopolitan Magazine published an article that said, incest fantasies are hot. This is the culture. This is the darkness. Now, let me ask you a question. If somebody breaks into your home, uh, do you make them a sandwich? No. You match the aggression with which they came into your home. You match that to protect your family. What does Paul say at verse 5? Put to death. Because why? Why does he say put to death? Match the aggression that sin is coming after your family with. Sin comes through steal, kill, and destroy. Sin wants to destroy your family. But when it comes to nudity and sexuality, fathers, a lot of you allow your kids just to entertain that. You're just making a sandwich. Just making a sandwich for the enemy in your household. Paul says don't do that. He says you better kill it. 
because the long-term ramifications of what you allow your kids to be exposed to on TikTok or Instagram or anything like that, there is not a chance my kids are going to have social media until they're 25, right? Right? Because I will not allow the enemy to pollute and corrupt their minds. That is a hill I will die on. Because I am the protector of my family. And I will not allow their eyes and ears and senses to be corrupted by the darkness of the world just to make them as big a perverts as the rest of the world. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> uh, see, we should get rid of the kids more often, right? Like, yeah. Um, one of the things I loved about the church that we had in Tulsa, the church that we had started, was all just college-age kids. This was every Sunday. I loved it. Um, because these are the things that people want to talk about. These are the peop- things that people have questions about. And sometimes we think, well, the church isn't the place for that. If the church isn't the place for these discussions, where is it? Because we are building this upon the very word of God, not on my opinion. Uh, so Paul says, um, let's look here. He says that the wrath of God is coming. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, what does that mean? So he, he lists all of this kind of sexual perversion stuff. And he says because of that, God's wrath is coming. Now, we tend to think of God's wrath as like fire from the sky. Turn to Romans 1. You can hold your place in Colossians because we'll come back there real quick. But Romans 1, verse 18. If you got it, say you got it. All right, let's go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So pause. He says everybody knows the truth, that you know that this is like wrong, but we suppress it because we love our sin. All of your sin, right, we suppress and downplay and we make it a sandwich because we go, it's not really wrong. We justify it. It says that we do that because we love our sin. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Amen. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So he starts off by saying, look, everybody knows there's a God. And I believe that. I believe everybody knows that there's a God. Because we talk about this all the time. Things like math and logic and reasoning. Those aren't made of matter. Those are immaterial, unchanging, universal constants. And even somebody who says they reject God still uses logic, which means they're sitting on the lap of God in order to slap him in the face. So everybody knows that there is a God, but we like our sin. And so what we tend to do is we just make gods that look a lot like us. They approve of what we approve of. They do what we do. They laugh at our jokes. They like everything that we like. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up 
and the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creator rather the, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Oh my gosh. We're all in that list. We're all in that list. So sometimes people make a fair observation that the church, well, the church just elevates this one sin among the other. Well, we're not guilty of that. We're all, we're, we just name them all. All the sins, all guilty. But one of the say he says the wrath of God, what is that? He says God reveals his wrath not by fire falling from the sky and burning you up, by granting your wish. There's an entire generation of people who says, I want nothing to do with God, and I want to use my body however I want. And God sent prophets, and he sent his son, and he has sent the Holy Spirit and his word into the world so it is free for anyone. And they go, I don't want it. And he goes, okay. You do what you want to do. God doesn't have to destroy societies or people. We will do it on our own. He is our rescuer and redeemer, and he rescues us from ourselves. So Paul, there's, there's this pattern here. Rejection leads to idolatry. Idolatry leads to confusion. He says debased mind, right? Confusion leads to sexual perversion, and finally it leads to the inability to think. Men are women now. Men can get pregnant. This is the height of absurdity, and I'm my goal, I want you to hear this. This is not me being insensitive or trying to spike the ball at our end zone and go, see, we were right. This is dumb. That is not my goal at all. My goal is to plead with you to help me plead with the culture that the way they are living their life is not liberty. It is, in fact, a prison. And somebody has to tell them. Are you just going to watch your neighbors and your loved ones just spin into chaos? We're just going to just sit back and go, oh, oh, well. See, your government is just a reflection of the smaller kind of microcosms that are made up of it. So um, the government is made up of states, and states are made up of cities, and cities are made up of homes, and homes are made of families. So we look and think it's a government issue or a culture issue. I go, no, it's a family issue. It's the men and the families did not lead their families towards God. Instead, they led them the wrong way. And we are just seeing the results of what happened several generations ago. Men, protect your families from this. Protect your families. Because you are not teaching them liberty by teaching them that they can do whatever they want with their bodies. You're teaching them how to be slaves to a culture that is constantly changing. So, that's the bad news. What's the good news? 
Like, can we have some good news? Man, that's rough. Well, hey, we just need to know what's going on so that we know how to respond. First, Paul is talking to a church, not to the culture. Lost people act like lost people. Can I tell you what? Anybody is welcome here. Anybody's. We, if a man came into this church wearing a dress and prancing around, I would be the first person to hug them and say, God loves you. I'm glad you're here. Okay? So you need to know that. You need to know that we do not hate people who have a different sexual view of sexuality than we do. But, according to the culture, me having a different view is hate speech. I do not hate them. I have, I have lots of friends that struggle or have just said, hey, this is who I am. But you know what? They know that I love them. They know that I love them. All are welcome here, and if you struggle with sexual sin, whether it's homosexuality, some kind of perversion or pornography, we love you enough to tell you the truth. And it's a cultural myth to say that we hold these views makes us full of hate. And this place is more than glad to walk with you to overcome that. Men, if you are struggling with pornography, you reach out to the elders here, and we will help you overcome that. I have seen what it does to Christian men. I've seen what it does to marriage. Over and over and over again. Secondly, those sins are part of the old self. Remember in Colossians, he says to put to death the old self. So that's the old self. So many of us, we, you know, that was um, before I was saved, I had, I had no qualms about just being promiscuous. That was culturally acceptable and A, the right thing to do if you were a man. When I became a believer, I made a lot of phone calls to a lot of girls to apologize for the guy that I was. Because I saw the damage cheap one night stands do to the soul of a woman. There was one girl in particular. I won't go into details on that, but I, I've just seen the damage that it's done. You guys need to recognize and you need to know. You have to be very careful. This is one of the reasons that scripture says that when it comes to sexual sin that we are to wage war because it is waging war on your soul. That we wage war against it and we put it to death. Lastly, whew, the freedom of an identity in Christ. The world is obsessed with sexual identity, racial identity, political identity. That's because they have no spiritual identity. They are left with only their bodies to define who they are. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Look at this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In Galatians, it also has neither male nor female. And so one of the things that Christianity does is all this identity politics. It says, that's just something you guys are obsessed with. It's, you're obsessed with it because you have no spiritual identity. If you actually knew who you were, you wouldn't reduce yourself to that. No, I'm proud of my heritage. I'm Norwegian and a couple of other things. And I, I, I love that, but that is not who I am. Because when I die, that dies. But my soul continues on. And no one in heaven is going to be waving the Irish flag, being like, oh, Irish people over here in heaven, right? No, because we are united in the kingdom of God. Some of you are like, oh, man, right? 
doesn't mean you can't wear a kilt or something if you don't want to. I don't know. So my plea to you is to tell you nothing more than what Scripture says. What God has made and said is good, the devil has twisted and attempted to destroy you. The family unit and the world itself. That family unit is so important. Read the stats on what happens to kids that grow up without a dad. 99% of the homeless that we have here grew up without a dad. Do you believe that Christ's way is better? Do you believe that Christ's way is better? For some of you, this is going to be, man, especially if you have a compassionate heart and you just want to love everybody, this is hard for you. This is really hard for you, and I get that. Because you, I just want to love everybody. You can love everybody. But in the same way, loving your kid doesn't say you, you approve of everything your kid does. You can love people without approving of everything that they do. And you don't have to bring it up at every single conversation that you have with them. But you don't have to change what God has said is right and good in order to please other people. This is what God has said, and I stand on that, and that's a hill I will die on. Um, you know, the good thing about it being so dark in the world is you don't have to have much Christ to shine that light. When the world is so dark, just a little bit of Christ just, just destroys darkness. And so I'll close this quote from Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night, but rage, rage against the dying of the light. Amen. I'm going to pray. Uh, here's our time of response. As the band comes and plays, we're just going to sit for a minute. And if you have sexual sin that you need to confess, you do that between you and God. This week, if you need to reach out to me or one of the other elders, you say, hey, i got to overcome this. It's, look, it's not going to be the first time somebody comes to my office struggling with that. Your sin isn't that unique. Remember, I just told you 77% of evangelicals, that's men and women, Right? are struggling with these issues. It's, it's muddy waters that, uh, that are swimming in. Did you have something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah women, if, if you reach out to some of the elder wives, um, Ashley and Adrian, y'all would be great. Uh, reach out. Um, I'd be more than glad. Thank you guys for volunteering that. So, oh, man. Let's do, you want to do this again next week, too? <laughs> Let's go, let's go, right? Um, it's, because, it's because Christ loves you, it's because I love you. Sometimes we've got to have difficult talks. Um, after our time of response, we take communion here every week. That's because without what Christ has did on the cross, we would all be slaves to the culture that we live in. We would all be slaves, but it is what he has done on the cross that sets you free. Some of you, you might not even have Christ in your life, and that's why you're so addicted to the culture and all the things it calls good. You just call good by default. You don't know any difference. You ever seen uh, um, a car that has like an OSU flag flying on game day? And then the dad gets out and then the son is wearing an OSU shirt. And if you ask that kid what's his favorite team and he says OSU, has that kid chosen that? Or is he just reflecting what his father has taught him? He's just reflecting, right? It, what's my favorite football team? Dallas Cowboys. Why? Because that was my dad's favorite team. 
And so you have to be careful what you pass on to your kids. And there were people who, like, that kid could grow up to start a fist fight that OSU is the best. And really, it's just what he grew up with. And there are kids growing up in a culture who are willing to fight violently for their rights for men to be pregnant. And it's just because it's the culture they grew up in. It's just the culture. We don't want any more culture. I'm not trying to sell a different culture. I'm trying to sell a kingdom and a king. He can set you free from all the back and forth, left and right. I don't need it. I don't have time for it. I want Jesus, and I want Jesus alone. Let me pray.